climate change, high temperatures, heat waves, storms, droughts, dwindling water levels, just some of the issues world leaders are going to have to deal with in the COP27, or as it's also known, the World's Climate Summit. It's underway in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt. Climate change is leading to food insecurity and water scarcity, especially in the Middle East. Hello everyone, I'm Sami Zaydan. Welcome to the Essential Middle East podcast. Experts say that half the world's population will be living in places where there isn't enough water. And it's estimated that by 2040, most of the world won't have enough water to keep up with demand all year long. We know water, of course, as a source of life. But with dwindling resources, it could also be the reason for future wars in the Middle East. Now, I don't want to scare you or paint an overly gloomy picture, but you see, this precious commodity is slowly becoming scarce for several reasons. And there are worrying signs our fresh water supplies in the Middle East are simply running out fast. Let's discuss all these factors now with our guest. Hello, my name is Duraid Mahasne. I'm a specialist in hydrology and marine sciences. I was the chief negotiator on water issues with Syria while I did the same job with Israel. I'm the chairman of Idama organization in Jordan, which means sustainability. I live in Amman and I'm calling from there. Great to have you with us. Thank you. All right. Give us the truth, Duraid, as they say. Tell me the truth, Doc. How long have we got? Are we facing a looming water crisis in the MENA region? We are, and unfortunately, it's not just water crisis. We're not realizing that there are new factors in the water crisis increasing. And it was somehow a country like Jordan with severe water conditions, not enough rivers, fresh water and so on, or enough rainfall that used to have problems. But now we have countries like Iraq. Iraq was blessed with enormous amounts of water, and now with transboundary waters struggle with Iran in particular, Turkey in the past, they don't have enough water. So does Syria. All right, but Duraid, how bad is it? Are we talking about entire populations of cities that are going to have to relocate because there's simply not enough water to drink? Actually, demographic shifting added dilemma to a country like Jordan, which has enough water for two million inhabitants. But with refugees from whether Palestine, Syria, later Iraq, or from wherever, now we have 11 million populations. So that is part of the issue. The other thing is we don't have, say, agreements among countries that share the same aquifer or rivers. Take the Danube, for example, in Europe seven European countries that share that river, and there is no conflict. We have problems now in the Nile between Ethiopia on one side, Sudan and Egypt on the other side. We have problems between Turkey, Syria and Iraq, Iran and Iraq. So these transboundary waters also need some serious negotiations on levels of equal or rightful share of water. Rightful share of water is is still disputed with Israel, whether Lebanon, Syria, the Palestinians, the Israelis too. So those are the major issues. What is making the conditions more severe is actually climate change. 
Climate change is increasing air temperatures and thus evaporation of fresh water and making it impossible to get enough water for people to settle in. Water scarcity isn't new in the Middle East. Home to only 1% of the world's freshwater resources, the region has been experiencing the most severe dry spell. All right, well, UNICEF certainly seems to be worried. They say the MENA region is amongst the most water-scarce region in the world. And they say out of the 17 most stressed, water-stressed, I should say, countries in the world, 11 are in the MENA region. So this is a big issue, right? Very true. Very true. What's causing this? You went through some issues, climate change, political disputes. Is there an element of mismanagement, though? Oh, definitely. You did raise it up. And this is the point. And mismanagement, not only in water usage or irrigation, it's also in population growth. It's also in the link or what we call the food, water and the energy nexus the water, energy, and environment nexus. We have mismanagements on all these things. We are not applying new irrigation technologies. Look at the example of the Nile River. Ethiopia is building that huge dam because they want electricity. So they are definitely cutting the water shares of both Sudan and Egypt because they want to raise the level of water enough so that they can produce electricity. Well, for God's sake, you can produce electricity also from the solar, from the sun. You can produce electricity from the water, the hydrogen electricity, and you can produce water energy from the wind. So there is mismanagement in that, definitely. The population growth. Is it possible to sustain the populations of the MENA region if things were just managed differently. Now you're coming to the focal point in my point of view. We like to hit the spot here on this podcast. Yeah. Had the Middle East been prevailed with democracy and people's rights explored in a democratic fashion, then people would realize that it's better that they go through technology, determining population growth, linking climate change to water management, and then both as local and as with their neighbor countries, they can reach agreements. And I made example of Europe. This should be applied in the Middle East. But if we still have conflicts, whether military, economic, racial, or religious, in this part of the world, we would still continue to be deprived of our rightful share. Iran and Iraq are a set example for that. I mean, they enjoy good relations, but yet they do not meet on water needs. Politically, Iran started a huge investment, both consuming huge water shares on the expense of Iraq without really going into dialogue with the Iraqis. So this is it. People must understand locally that they should reach an agreement and with their neighbors and boundaries. What about other human factors that we haven't really touched upon, like the expansion of agricultural farming? We live in a globe. And the last crisis of Ukraine had showed us how important this globe is or the global interaction. And I mentioned Ukraine because we use grain from Ukraine. And now countries in the MENA region are running low on grain and having to think about how they can grow whatever they can grow on their own, right? And that's going to put more pressure on the water resources. Bravo. That's what I wanted to reach here, is we would put more pressure on water resources. Then we would have to use proper technology techniques 
Proper technology means I use less water and I support those farmers who use less water but produce more of substances. A grain cannot be produced in the Middle East as much as in the Ukraine. It should depend on rainfall. So once I talk about rainfall and continuity of rainfall, I'm talking also about climate change. So I would have to cut on fuel-driven energy producers and use solar or friendly energy producers. Those all are connected, but it's not limited within your boundary or your borders. Our issues with Syria, for example, we share a river with Syria. And though we have an agreement in Jordan with Syria on how much we share and we take their change of agriculture from rainfall to irrigation, made them take most of the quantity. So those are the things I'm talking about. Better management and more of a dialogue to reach an agreement. Two-thirds of the world's population experience severe water scarcity every year, according to the UNICEF. In the Middle East, with areas already suffering from low rainfall and drought, the mismanaging of water resources is adding to the political tensions in the region. Duraid, are we going to see wars caused purely by water issues in the region? Well, we are on the verge. I mean, what's happening between Ethiopia and Egypt is very critical, very sensitive. What's happening between some of the Arab countries with Israel, what's happening between Iran and Iraq is definitely so critical and so dangerous that people should sit down and talk about it. There is something in water principles called the rightful share. People should understand their rightful share and their neighbor's rightful share. And that depends, of course, by studying how much water do we have with the neighbor jointly or shared water resources. How much do are we in population? How much are they in population? How much agriculture could consume in either side? That rightful share is very easy to calculate if people have the interest to take their neighbor's interest into consideration. We're not seeing it in the Middle East, unfortunately. But why? Because again, it's political diversity and diversification or conflict. I don't agree with my neighbor to the north, then we don't sit down to discuss. If you have a democratic system that would be driven by interest and say gains for both myself as well as my neighbors. And that definitely determines more interception or more influence by UN organizations, superpowers. Look at the Ethiopian-Egyptian conflict again. There hadn't been a serious attempt to really put down that conflict between the three countries. And we need to calm down all these situations and study it technically and in perspective whose interest. The Swiss Agency for Development and Cooperation says water was a major factor in open conflicts in 45 countries. Is water being used as a weapon in the Middle East and North Africa? No, I don't think it had been used as a weapon because it's not an excuse. The excuse is, say, to occupy more territory, more land. Each leader, elected or appointed regardless, wants to gain power by gaining more water, the example of Ethiopia. Well, sit down with the countries, the riparian countries of the Nile and reach an agreement. You don't just decide that you would fill your dam of tens of billions of water quantities on the expense of neighbors. Same applies on all water shares. We have been using race and religion in this area for conflicts. Now we're using water, unfortunately. What are the main flashpoint areas? Take us through maybe the top three or four. 
I would say River Nile is one. The second is Turkey, Syria, Iraq, Iran, the Euphrates, Tigris aquifer. And thirdly, of course, the River Jordan shared between Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, and Israel, and the Palestinians. Those are the three major things. We do have some developing issues in North Africa, but not as major as those. Water scarcity isn't new in the Middle East. Home to only 1% of the world's freshwater resources, the region has been experiencing the most severe dry spell in 900 years. And if countries don't have rivers or lakes, do they have an alternative solution to their water challenge? Well, now we're talking about technology. Countries have been dependent underground aquifers. The other one is now desalination. And with the reduction on renewable energy prices, desalination is made very easy and not very expensive. So that's another glimpse of hope for all countries that do not have rivers. You know, the general line put out for a long time was desalination has its limits, especially for those countries facing rapid population growth. Has technology now overcome this kind of challenge? Yes, technology has developed a lot. It's now sometimes cheaper to desalinate than comparatively dig for a well underground in thousands of meters to get water. Take a country like Jordan. So this sounds like it could be a solution. It is a solution. For some countries, and in particular to my own country, Jordan, it's the only solution now. And particularly Gulf countries, which, you know, they do have more money than others in the Middle East and North Africa, right? Well, they went ahead with their plans on desalination some years ahead, and they are well-developed and they are using now, though they have the oil, they are increasingly using renewable energy for that purpose. And, you know, the first war that started in 1967 between Israel and the neighbors at the beginning started with Israel changing the route of the Jordan River and taking all of the water. And so it was a water conflict at the beginning. Now we're talking about water agreements, even with Israel if possible, to achieve. Right, right. What about recycling water, treatment of sewage and so on? Is that an option? I'm impressed with your question. Yes, recycling for treated water is a necessity, especially in countries like Jordan, depends a lot on recycling of water. You recycle water for irrigation of trees instead of using fresh water for that purpose. And technology have developed recycling to produce excellent quality of water that could be used for all purposes. Why isn't water recycling as prevalent in the MENA region as it is in some other countries, particularly European countries, right? Well, I can give you an example of Holland that relies a lot on recycling, though Holland is not deprived of fresh water. So it's the belief in the Middle East that recycling water is not of a good quality. And that's something that should be taken away from the minds of people here by proving that it is not. Nowadays, people are getting used to it, for example, in a country like Jordan, even in countries like Egypt. I think gradually more recycled water is being used. And then you touched a little bit before on climate change, but I want to circle back to that. We're seeing entire communities in the MENA region, which we're told are threatened by climate change, taking away their access to water. Communities in Iraq, 
Well, in the case of Iraq, Iran, for example, did build in the last 10 years more than 100 dams, regardless small, medium size, big size on the Tigris, and depriving Iraq from the flow of the more of the Tigris water to it. So it wasn't only climate change. What added the misery is climate change. Dams in Iraq had been, I mean, there has a lot of evaporation. I'll give you an example of water in Jordan. We get, say, 5 billion cubic meters a year. 90% of that is being evaporated by climate change, by increasing temperatures. And this is increasing rivers Euphrates and Tigris. Unfortunately, we have dams in Iraq that don't contain any water. Same in Jordan. So gradually increasing water temperatures would increase the evaporation of fresh water. And people do not understand, governments do not understand that they should not increase air temperature and emissions of CO2 and other harmful gases to the air because that would result in negative impacts on their water shares. All right, well, if it's a vicious circle, can the vicious circle be undone? Can it be reversed? It can definitely. It's cultural, it's educational, and unfortunately, in the Middle East, the idea of climate change, its impacts or revenue or gains, is not being studied. Well, I cannot blame the Middle East. We had a president in the U.S. two years ago who didn't believe in climate change. So this could be anywhere. And it's absurd when you have politicians with such ideas contradicting scientific conclusions. It's more of education, more emphasis that should be put. And countries like poor countries in the Middle East or anywhere in the world should be encouraged to improve their environmental conditions And that encouragement by putting more aid for environmental projects, by giving more aid or financial support for them to transfer from traditional energy to renewable, friendly, clean energy. But Duray, you're talking about massive transitions, right? Do countries have the funds to make these kinds of changes in lifestyle for entire populations? Well, let's talk about two types of countries. And I give you an example of UAE. A UAE would reach zero emissions in the year 2050, and they have the funds to do it. While a country like Jordan, who just finished plans or vision of 2033, and it's a poor country financially, is putting more emphasis in giving support, and they would get financial support from abroad if they take the environment or the climate change pattern as one of their green economy, I call it, as one of their patterns of growth. And this is a must. So it's not only related to those who have. I think Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, which is called COP26, assigned huge amounts of cash for developing countries who want to take the environmental track. Yes, it's not easy when applied, but it's a start. And education is a must for people. We see people all over the world transforming from regular cars, diesel or engine driven to electric cars. Is it only because it's more environmentally sound? No, it's also because it's more economic. All right, this is where I'm going to ask you to bring out your crystal ball. Are you ready, Duraid? Yes. So give us your outlook for the MENA region. What's the bottom line here? I say the bottom line is more democracy for people to decide what their rights are. And this is not determining only their political rights, but also determining their water rights and their environmental rights. This is a must. 
This region had been negatively affected and impacted by wars and conflicts. It's time that we stand up and we say, let's develop our countries and let's cooperate. Let's reach a mutual agreement on all aspects and all issues. And the more is water issues. Fabulous. It's been an absolutely fantastic chat. Thank you so much, Duray. Thank you very much. I enjoyed that. Me too. And thank you for listening. This episode was produced by Hayat Mongodin, Khaled Sultan, and Salam al Our sound designer is George Alwir. Our lead engagement producer is Ayal Malik, and our assistant engagement producer is Munir Dosari. And of course, can't forget our executive producer, Omar Saleh, and Ney Alvarez's head of audio. I'm your host, Sami Zaydan. We'll catch up next week. <laughs>